1: Hi, everyone. Well, we're going to take a little detour from our regular programming. This past Sunday, March 15th, my nana passed away. My mom and I were with her in her New Jersey home, and she had some family visits and many FaceTime visits from afar. She was surrounded by love from all the people who cherished her and looked upon her in awe of her spirit and brilliant mind and sense of humor, and she was met in heaven by her own sweet nanny, her beautiful mom and dad, my big nana and big pop, her four siblings, all of her friends that passed on before her, her daughter, my wild and wonderful Aunt Holly, and of course, my little sunshine, my daughter. Nana suffered a massive stroke on Wednesday and on Friday as she lay peacefully in her bed, awaiting her time. I told her she needed to go take care of my little girl, and from her stillness, she forcefully squeezed my hand. So I know she's up there in the stars holding my baby tight. On Sunday morning, I was making coffee in the kitchen and I overheard my mom telling Nana that today was a great day for her to go and take a great trip. Mom got up and then I sat down and Nana had gone just like that. She was off on her great trip. She's smoking her Virginia Slim menthol 120s and dancing on the space rainbow with her family. And I have no idea what a space rainbow is, but my cousin keeps using the term and I love it. <laughs> My cousin Sierra, here's what she wrote about Nana the other day. This fine woman danced over the Rainbow Bridge this morning to be reunited with her daughter, my mama, after 100 years of life. That's right, 100. She had a marvelous life and saw so much a woman's right to vote, the Great Depression, World War II, and she helped deliver a baby in the tunnels of Pearl Harbor, just to name a few. Her humor always amazed me, especially the last decade, because while her body aged, her mind was still sharp, all the way to the very end. When she passed, she was among her carefully placed angels and family in her Pennington condo, a place where she stored cookies in the stove. The walls are forever stained with nicotine, and her wheelchair, she morbidly named Hersula, rest in the corner. Jean Jean, the dancing machine, now lives eternally in my heart. Tears flow when I imagine my sweet mama finally reuniting with her. I'm imagining them chatting about all the shit that has occurred these past few years. Maybe they're both riding the space rainbow, just waving at us as they fly by. Love you, ladies. See you on the other side 100 or so years from now. Now, I know you're all wondering how my mom is doing. She's okay. She and her mom were very, very close, so this is hard. But as I told Nana, I will take good care of her. In fact, this has all put a lot in perspective for me, and I feel ready to let go of my suffering so that I can be here for my mom. God knows she's been lifting me up for a lifetime now, and it's my turn. Mom wrote a text to her friends two days ago, and she gave me permission to read it to you. She writes, Hi, my sweet friends. My incredible mama passed away this morning. She was 200 years old. (laughs) Almost 201. (sighs) Truly, she lived a life greater than a mere century's worth. For a woman raised with self-doubt, as most of the women of her day, she battled dragons we can't even imagine. She took them on with laughter and wit and love. No one ever said reach for the moon, just can you type, can you wear a size 8 gown, can you dance, can you bring us more coffee? She was a poet, a producer, a nurse, an adventurer, a loving but crappy wife, a loving mother, grandmother, and great nanny to 14, some who've never had the chance to meet her. I never knew her to be afraid of anything or anyone. She knew Enrico Fermi and Oppenheimer, hung out with John Kennedy, Gary Cooper, Juan Batista, danced with Arthur Murray for years and Balanchine for several minutes. She had tea at the Carlisle with Eleanor Roosevelt, who was fascinated that Mom worked. And, also, this is Molly speaking, Mom forgot to mention this little tidbit, but Nana once made out with Gregory Peck, and she slapped him because he got fresh. She wrote, She smoked till she was 97 and had to switch to e-cigs these last few years. She loved us all unreservedly. And we can all tell you she was a highly accomplished listener and storyteller. Did she stretch a few tales? Of course but we're the luckiest people in the world to have inherited her legends and known the warmth of her love. A few years ago, my mom recorded a StoryCorps interview with Nana for the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Nana's experience during the bombing is wild. I'm including that interview here, and I'd love for you to listen. But before I play it for you, I do have a request. What would have been my baby's due date is Saturday, March 20th. I had big plans for the day. I made gorgeous little soy wax candles with essential oils and wood wicks and little dried flowers. And I planned to send them out last week with a fancy little card with a prayer asking friends and family to light the candle on March 20th in remembrance. And then I lit one of the candles just to see how well the, the scent was coming across. And the damn flame went out immediately. Once I got it going, it stayed lit, but the poor little tiny flame was struggling to survive. And that is not the vibe I was going for. I had a stupid, stupid meltdown, lost my shit, and then I got over it because my grandmother was in the hospital and there are more important things in the world than candles, everybody. Plus, you've all got candles at home. So, I'm tabling the candle making for right now. I'm going to redo them later with normal wicks and then they'll be beautiful and they'll burn strong. And for now, I'm asking all of you to light a candle of your own for my bright ray of golden sun, my little girl. And while you're at it, please light a candle for my beaming sun, moon, and stars. My Nana. It can be the same candle. That's okay. Just think about them both. Oh, and again, March 20th, Saturday. Now, please enjoy this interview with the one and only Jean Sharp. Okay,
0: uh, here we go. My name is Penny Hockey. I'm here with my mom, Jean Sharp. Uh, today is, G December 2, and... Uh, We're sitting in my mom's bedroom in New Jersey, and we're doing this because my mom was in Pearl Harbor when Pearl Harbor was attacked, and there are just not too many people around who've got that story still to tell. And uh, with that in mind, I think I'd love to start mom with What the heck got you to Hawaii? I thought you were a shop girl in New Jersey.
2: I was. I was in sales uh, at Lord & Taylor's uh, near my hometown. And then I had been corresponding with this old boyfriend I hadn't seen in four years. And we corresponded back and forth and kind of fell in love just by mail. and uh, then he said he really wanted me to come to Hawaii to marry him. Crazy. And of course, the fact of just going to Hawaii was so exciting and and I left and went down. We were married in in September, late September. And then
0: but wait a minute, how did you how did you buy yourself? You yes. just got on a train train, <laughs> plane and ship, yes and it's amazing how long, I'm sorry to interrupt, how long did it take a train to get across the United States?
2: I can't remember, honey, three or four days oh, God. and uh, on the train uh, uh, we stopped in Chicago overnight and uh, this other person got on in the next bunk we had those little curtain bunks and I heard her relative say I hope you have a nice bunk mate And so I stuck my head out and said, I'm I'm nice. And so, anyway, this gal and I became very good friends, and she was on her way to get married in Hawaii. Oh, my. And it ended up, not only that, but we were not only on the same ship, the Lurleen, but we were roommates. So it was such a wonderful... I thought, well, now this is meant to be. And so we became good friends... Uh And her husband was an airman in Hickam, and I lived in Hickam Housing, which is right outside of Hickam, because my husband, V, was a United States engineer. And so we were in constant contact after I got down there.
0: Wow, it must have been crazy, not really remembering my father, but just kind of knowing him in correspondence and coming down the gangplank in this on this beautiful island of Oahu <laughs> and was it like meeting a stranger or did oh, you know each other It was
2: kind of like meeting a stranger we hadn't seen each other in 4 years but I was so excited and you know I was going down there and being in the Hawaiian islands and and I expected a beautiful ceremony on the beach which we never got of course but uh, it was just thrilling to be in Hawaii and getting married. I was very nervous, too, because oh, like, sure. I wasn't quite sure whether I had done the right thing or not.
0: I would think so. I mean, the last time you saw him, you were 16. Now you're 20 years old, really kind of a country girl from New Jersey. Yes. You know, a whole other other world. It was like reading a movie magazine.
2: It was so strange that I was in the middle of this weird story. Yeah. But it was exciting, and I was young and carefree and and adventurous. So I thought, well, why not? So,
0: so I guess we can jump right to it. it was uh, shortly after that, uh, you and my father were living in like a bungalow.
2: No, it Had- was a two-story... Uh, temporary, oh, real type army housing.
0: Oh, at Hickam Field?
2: No, right outside of Hickam Field, uh-huh. uh, but connected to Hickam, and it was uh, typical army, low ranch right. style housing right. for two families, uh-huh. and next door to us was a Japanese family uh, of three people, and... Uh, we didn't see each other very much because I was busy just trying to be a new wife, mm. and also, I had gotten a job uh down in Honolulu at the Liberty Department store selling cosmetics I, just to supplant our income. I didn't know that, yeah, and of course, I love that part that yeah. was
0: fun, yeah, so december sixth nineteen forty one The night before Pearl Harbor, what were you guys doing?
2: Well, uh, I had a wonderful friend of the family, this wonderful boy, Bill Thompson, who was in the Navy and on the Oklahoma, and so we invited him to go out for dinner with us at, uh, I think, Shafter, uh, I don't know, it was in the... uh, not the office's space, but in one of the nice dining rooms. Right. And we had a lovely evening. Got a little buzzed, and we asked Bill to stay overnight with us. And he said, no, he could had to get back to the Oklahoma because uh. he had a tennis date in the morning. So that, that's what happened the night before the 6th. And, and then early in the morning, we were awakened by this horrible noise and and outside and I said, Oh no just when I wanted to sleep in and and we were so angry at Hickam because they were having exercises so early on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. We thought it was ridiculous and all this smoke in the air. So finally we thought, well, we might as well get up and take a look and see so we got, I got dressed in the shorts and top and a wraparound skirt, and we drove down to the harbor where all the smoke was coming from, and we came just to, before the bridge, and we, we just couldn't comprehend what was going on. It was fire and flames and smoke. thought it was a terrible accident of some kind, but being human, of course, we had to look. And we were sitting there, and all of a sudden this little cab driver came over and said, oh, hey, you get out, get out, it's war, it's war, it's the Japanese. Well, we just had no idea what was going on. And then a great big piece of metal, it was shrapnel, I guess from anti-aircraft guns, we had no idea what, went right through the roof of the car between us and buried itself in the sea. So we turned around and raced back to our house, and by then all the people were out in the streets looking at all the smoke, and so we told them what was going on, and people just couldn't believe it, and there were planes overhead and smoke and fire, and it was just so wild. And then, so we thought, well... We were told we had to evacuate, but before we had to uh, fill garbage cans, uh, which they brought around, clean garbage cans in trucks, because the water main to the Kamehameha Hospital had been broken. So we were asked to fill these with our hoses. And I find myself being able to lift these huge barrels up on the trunk bed. I guess it was just the adrenaline. Pure adrenaline. And oh, then... Uh,
0: were there, were there uh, Japanese planes going overhead? Yes. Oh, yes. And were they, did you hear the sound of mortar and
2: gunfire? Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, it was just a cacophony of noise. I mean, you didn't know which was which, the planes, the smoke, the sirens, the, the crash and bang of, of did, attack. Did you want to run and hide? Well, we didn't know what to do, but we were told... I, I guess, our local patrol people, that we had to evacuate. So I just packed up, I, I think, uh, uh, underpants, and, and that's about it, and we were told to go to Fort and because they were separating the women and children, and my husband had to report to work. Uh, uh, well, and, and he was doing what? Uh, he was an engineer, and I don't know what he they wanted him to do. But that with. was at Hickam? No. No? No, it was, um, now I can't remember Clark? the name. It was yeah. up in the hill. I'll think of it. Okay. Anyway, um, so he drove me down to Shafter, where I was supposed to be located. And we were told, and we went to this huge cave. Actually, it was a... a Earth tunnel they had been digging through, to make a new road through the mountain there, and it was just had started, so it was about, um, say a hundred feet long, and in it were all these women and children and babies crying, and and so he said, "I'll have to drop you off here, and I'll get back to you." So we parted, and I went in, and. I had no sooner gotten in, maybe about twenty feet, and this little woman grabbed my foot and said, "Missy, help me, help me, me having baby." So well, I I went to the sentry. I said, "She's having a baby," and he said, "You're a woman. You know what to do." <laughs> and so anyway, I went back to her. And fortunately, I was fairly well-read and had grown up on a farm where I knew all about deliveries of animals. So anyway, I got some newspaper, and I said to the sentry, uh, send for an ambulance. And he said, I can't do that. People are dying all over the place. And I said, well, at least get me some newspaper, some scissors, and some string, and that's all I could think of because I knew I would have to tie a cord. Sure, sure, sure. And I, I couldn't even say sterile because, you know, n- nothing to sterilize with. Of course not. So anyway, after a very, very short while, bless her little heart, she delivered this very sweet, darling baby boy. And I, what I did was... I I didn't know about the afterbirth but I did know that she had to be the baby had to be kept warm so I took my wraparound skirt and I wrapped the baby up in it and at the same time I had taken out my lower bridge your te- it, of your teeth yes and I put it in the pocket of my linen skirt my beautiful green linen skirt and wrapped the baby up in it and I was sitting with her and she was still having pain. And so at that point, this woman came in. She said, I hear you have a birth. And she grabbed the baby and grabbed the woman. I, and she, she had a wagon outside. And they took the woman and the baby
0: and, and, and my your skirt. teeth.
2: And my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so anyway, and so I was just sitting with her and the place was crowded with women crying and children crying. And so they came in and with all it was, was this dark earth tunnel and they had strung up some work lights on a, I'll uh, oh, say about 10 feet apart going back into the tunnel. And um, so, anyway, uh, I'm, t- I'm trying to remember now. Um, oh, and then they... Oh, before this happened, um, before Bob... Before we evacuated, Bob and I were fascinated by what was going on because there were hangers on flame, on fire, and we were running. uh, The sentries said, get out of here, there's another wave coming. And we were running across the field to get to our house. And this Japanese plane came over and strafed at us. And whether it was from the bullet fragment from... Uh, coral being struck but I had a gash in my leg and my husband said fall down you're hit." and I said you fall down I'm getting out of here and <laughs> so anyway when we got to the house I I put some band-aids all around it so you know because I was bleeding and, and that's when we told we had to evacuate no, right. I forgot that part
0: so when you were in the cave could was it you, did you hear more sounds of war going no, on or no, was it quiet no. at this point no,
2: no it was pretty still outside because the major waves had passed through uh-huh. no it was just the crying and the right. children screaming and, and so anyway then the sentry came in here and said Anybody with uh, any medical training?
0: <laughs> I know you.
2: <laughs> so what I was thinking, well, I had I had taken a Red Cross course at home, just as a matter of fact. And also, I had just delivered a baby. So I said, <laughs> yes, I had. So I went with this guy and he took me down to the hospital and I walked in, and they grabbed me, and they put me in this white coat and said, report to operating room three. And I said, oh, where's that? (laughs) They said third floor. Well, the corridors were lined with stretchers and bodies on the floor. They didn't have enough stretchers for the people. So I'm going past all these people. I was horrified but fascinated. I get to the operating room, and, and I walked in. I said, I was told to report, and I was standing there, and they were operating on some of the, the lights and people around the table. And I was so excited. I thought, oh, this is thrilling. And, and I was standing there, and this nice, fat Hawaiian nurse came over and said, Here, nurse, get rid of this, and handed me a leg, which had been severed above the knee. Oh, my God. And I stood there, and I said, Oh, I'm going to faint. Nobody paid any attention. And I said, I think I'm going to throw up. Nobody even looked at me. So I didn't know what to do with the leg, so I just quietly took it over, and I stood it in the corner of the operating room, and I ran out that door and down those stairs so fast. Oh, my God, my head was when my stomach was lurching. And I got down, and I threw myself behind some bushes and throwing up like mad because we had had some coffee in the tunnel. And I was so nauseated. And then this guy came by, very young guy. He said, Hey, can you drive? And I said, Yeah. And he said, Well, I can. I don't have my license, but we have. We have to get out to Hickam. I said, Okay. So I wiped my mouth, and we got in there. And the road was littered bodies because oh, they had strafed the main highway two from Hickam to Honolulu, and so. It was, it, was almost, it was just too much to take in. It was like watching a movie.
0: Like
1: a movie. It like was, a movie yes, set. Was,
2: I was in shock. No doubt about it.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort
2: Little bits and pieces, like little funny strips of film. It was weird, and so then.
0: Let me interrupt for a second. Did you know, by any chance, that the Oklahoma had been hit? No. So you didn't know that your friend from home? No. Okay.
2: I knew. I knew that there. We saw. I saw the Arizona. you, You saw it. Which had was sinking, and other. There was so much smoke and so much fire. I really couldn't. Get it, it was just too big yeah. to take in minor detail. I did see men in the water. I saw the water on fire. You know, Jeez. the flames coming out of the water from the gasoline, and uh, so that that was major noise. But
0: it, well, I don't know where I was. Oh. Well, you, were, uh, you the guy had said to you, "Can you drive?" And oh, you yes. said yes.
2: Yes. So he took me out. And we went up the same road that I had come down on, and cars lit it all over. They hadn't been taken away. This is within a, an hour, two hours. And so we get back to Hickam, not not to Pearl. We went to Hickam to the air, uh, hangars, and we were picking up people and taking them, bodies. We didn't know, get a couple, and we just load a couple in, take them to the Kamehameha Hospital, which wasn't far. And there was one I remember was so bad. that cook had been thrown up on his stove oh. and burned so badly, and he, he was a, a dead or unconscious. I saw so many dead bodies that day that, I can't even remember so many individual ones. So we get back to the hospital and by then I was just covered in blood sure and uh, my sneakers were so bloody. I remember squishing and and that bothered me terribly. And I but I didn't want to go barefoot with all the debris around the glass. So anyway, they said uh okay report down to the Quonset hut at the bottom of the hill where they had more uh, soldiers and sailors in there and uh, so I went down and they said uh, would you help this uh, thing army man I don't remember but they, his foot was bleeding his pants were soaked with blood so I unlaced his boot and pulled the boot off gently oh. and the whole foot came with it and I passed out on the floor with his foot and foot on my chest and I'm lying on the floor and they, they said we need blood, get some more blood we need more blood well we need donors, well there's one on the floor <laughs> so they picked me up and and she drew my blood, there. and then anyway, that that was about it. They gave me some juice, and and I was at the, and then they said you're going to have to go back to the cave. So I went back there, and my husband found me there finally because, of, and this this was the next day. I was overnight with yeah. all of this misery and groaning and my leg was hurting and I was miserable I'm drinking coffee like mad more coffee. And finally when Bob found me we finally drove out to our housing, Hickam housing, and the sentry said, You can't go in there. This time it was evening and he said, Well, He said, you can't drive back because you can't use your headlights. So go in, but be very, very quiet. So we got in the house and we put, we nailed army blankets up on our bedroom window. And we stood and looked at each other because neither of us could really comprehend what Mm -hmm. we had been through. So we just kind of looked at each other and then all of a sudden there was a shot outside. Oh. And we both dove under our bed and cried like babies. I mean, we just sobbed. We hadn't even allowed ourselves to even feel for two days. And we just cried oh. and cried. And then when we got up in the morning... There was a body outside, and I guess they were looting. So, and that was about it. And then, then every, every I know that after that, I I found out that the Oklahoma had gone down, and I really didn't know anything about Bill. I had a telegram from his mother. Please find Bill so I asked a commander since I was a friend if I could help look because they had stacked all these bodies in concert huts and I never did find him but they had put me in coveralls and the smell was unbelievable mm. and I, I never did find him but, uh, and that was very heart-wrenching because he was a wonderful man
0: and he could have stayed overnight with you. Yes, and, he could. But he wanted to play tennis. He and wanted so to play went tennis. Yes. Yeah, and it
2: was so funny because our mail from there on was addressed to Jean or Robert Ralston or the survivor.
0: Oh, all our
2: mail. All, or the survivor. Our, was either or the survivor. Oh my goodness! And yes, and Oof. Uh, that Mom, was the tail. major. That's <sighs> yeah. why. For, oh, for years, on December 7th, I really got very upset.
0: Sure.
2: Now I'm kind of calm, but I, I cannot watch the footage anymore. No,
0: no, of I just not.
2: can't. Of course oh, not. That,
0: that was it. And Well, yeah, but lo- let me ask you a question. Like, sometimes I hear, uh, um, I don't know what you call it, but uh, I hear things like, Oh, the, uh, the Japanese, the local people knew in advance.
2: Well, that's what we well, what heard was that because about? Uh, I know when we got home, the Japanese family was gone. And later. Oh, the we, people
0: that live next yeah, to you? Yeah,
2: they were gone. And what we heard later, this was maybe a month later, was that they had somewhere in the local Honolulu paper, there was. A statement about them getting
1: out—we
2: mm. we never could verify whether it was right. rumor or fact. Right. All I know is that our neighbors were gone. And, wow!
0: Yeah. I know that you uh, stayed in Hawaii till around August of 1942. Yeah, I went to work. And you were pregnant. Yes, I was miserably pregnant. <laughs> yeah, <just> miserably pregnant. <laughs> Got pregnant. Gun
2: Ringing, pregnant. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: Ringing, pregnant.
2: Uh, I went. Uh, I went to work uh, at the airfield at Hickam repairing blueprints and oh. things that had been destroyed or half destroyed in the fire. And, uh, and so it was daily. I mean, I went to work, and Bob was picked up by buddies to go to his job. Of, oh, it was Schofield Barracks mm-hmm. was where he had to report and so I was working and and we had uh, very limited food. We had wonderful local food because we're in Hawaii, but we couldn't get things like paper products and we had to make do and and uh, things like Kotex and toilet paper were non-existent. nonexistent. <laughs> And so we may do with newspapers and things.
0: And you were like uh, having strange uh, pregnancy things. I mean, something about eating dried shrimp. Oh, that's, on the dock I, I or couldn't something?
2: eat anything. I just was so nauseated. And this lovely, lovely fat woman, Hawaiian lady, I worked with. Uh, her name was Josephine Solomon. And she would bring me in these dried shrimp from the docks. Oh. They were sun dried, and I thought that all I could eat and saltine. I don't know how my poor baby ever survived. <laughs> Very well, I'm surprised she just doesn't live on salt.
0: So, uh, so there, mom. So, okay, you're pregnant. You're 21 years old. Um, most of the American women, from what I've read, were uh, evacuated and taken on ships, on convoys. There yeah. were not a lot of you left, and uh, uh, you were still there in the beginning of August. Well, I, we had to wait for orders. Oh, Dad had to wait for orders. Okay. Oh, so
2: did I. Oh, you
0: did, too. Both. Oh, okay.
2: Now He got his orders. So he left. I told him, "Go, you got your orders. You know I'll get mine. You know won't be long and so anyway, I sold off what little furniture I had. Our car had no tires. You uh, were running it on wheels on rims <laughs> well, only a very short distance, you know to get just to get from here to there." like less than a half a mile anywhere. And then I finally got my orders, and uh, I left. And then I was on board a ship, and it was this old ship. And I later found out it was a ship called the Mariposa. And that happened to be the ship that my grandmother and grandfather sailed on on their honeymoon to Australia.
0: Which would have been in uh, the uh, turn of the century.
2: Yes. Wow. And it was wainscoting in the rooms, and we had bunk beds, and old, really raunchy things. Right. And the captain called all the women together. There were 30 of us, and they had some children. And 30 women? 30 women. The rest of the ship was filled with uh, Hawaiian-Japanese soldiers who were going to be sent to Italy. To fight, right? And so anyway, we were very, very, we were very polite. I was too sick to stay in that stateroom, and so I slept out on deck. And I, I just to keep busy, I helped swab the deck in the morning, just, yeah. just to have something to do. And we had to zigzag across the Pacific because we were being followed by a submarine. We did not have an escort.
0: Oh, my God. And so anyway, it was... Did you say something about not being able to stop and turn around for anybody that went overboard? Oh, yes,
2: the captain said, if you, any of your children or any of you fall overboard, it, there's no way we're going to turn around. You'll have to let them go. And, oh, my God. Uh, and that, that was it. And when I finally landed in... San Francisco At San Francisco actually in Oakland and my husband and his father were there to greet me and so that was the story of my, my one big experience I was a reverse war bride
0: wonderful uh, it's an amazing story um and I've heard pieces of it many times over the years and I'm 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 always struck with this not knowing you obviously before i was born that you were just kind of uh you know a cool girl very beautiful girl uh <laughs> shop girl living in new jersey doing your thing and your world just totally changed and th- it seems to me that um uh, <coughs> that after pearl your you you your compass setting was more uh to be of Service to yes. be of help and to to be there when people needed it, whether you were as a friend or as as a mom or as a grandmother, and ultimately, after many years where you were a producer again, a always being on the job to, <coughs> to help other people, but after many years of that, enrolling in nursing school at. The cutoff was what fifty five? No, there was no cutoff necessarily. You, you it was couldn't just, be. You couldn't enroll. I think after you were fifty five. I, I I honestly don't oh. know
2: what age. Oh. I know they didn't want to take me. Oh, because I was fifty five. Right, said, you're too old. I said, give me a chance. You have nothing to lose. Right, and so yeah. and so the next you. Twenty years. I was a nurse a uh, great nurse, an incredible. Yeah, well, I loved nursing and and uh, it was absolutely fantastic.
0: <laughs> so um, I have this picture of you being handed a leg uh, okay. in a in an operating room yeah. at Pearl Harbor and then uh, at age 2021 20, and and then just uh, <laughs> circling around and closing the loop on it at age 55 and becoming what I understand to be, a phenomenal nurse. And that's pretty much how you have spent your life, uh, living living as a nurse, doctor, mother, grandmother, but putting a Band-Aid on pretty much anybody who comes your way.
2: <laughs> yeah, <that's about laughs> it. yeah. That's it. Well, I love nursing, and I missed it when I had to leave because of poor health. But otherwise, it was a wonderful life. And Strange and awful yeah. time and yeah, and we
0: live I live through a couple of wars I know hopefully no more so but if you if I just ask you for a few more words uh it is seventy five years later, and you are ninety six and very wise and if you uh, just have any last thoughts on pearl and what it meant to you and to history.
2: Well, I certainly—the only thing I can say is that in a couple of days I grew up a lot, and and grew to be very old. So, <laughs> um, it, it, to this day, it's hard for me to see any pictures. Because I think of Bill and all the blood, and, and every, it was just a field of blood. And it just, not that I, I can take blood, I'm a nurse, it, it was just too massive. And so I, I try to not think on the 7th. I'm only talking to you because you asked me more how I felt now mm-hmm. about yeah. December 7th, is what is only three days away. I don't know whether I'll watch on television. I, I doubt it, but I'll see how I feel about it. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm, I feel so badly about those who were lost. Yeah. And hopefully we don't have any more, and I'm yeah. appalled by the wars now and the Middle East situation. So, you know, I'm, I'm very cognizant of what's going on in the world and keep in touch with world news. And I'm appalled, absolutely appalled, because I think of other people who went through much worse than I did. Mine was just a, a blip
0: on this very small screen. I don't know, Mom. I don't know. <clears throat> <clears throat> Thank you, yeah. Mommy. I so I appreciate you taking the time. Well, I've told I know you. that was hard.
2: Well, I've told you bits and pieces, but... This is something if you want that, to save for the great grandchildren. Right. I have what seven now. Yeah. And we're old, old enough. They're interested. <laughs> it was a part of history, yeah. and uh, so I did what little I could, which was just smidgen. I know. And that was it. But it made me very interested in medicine. Yeah. So that was a big deal. Well,
0: well, how do we say goodbye in Hawaiian? Aloha. Aloha. Aloha nui oi. Again? Aloha nui oi.
1: Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays.